What is going on, Sharp Football Fantasy family? It is the Swami of Konami, Rich Rebar, and we are here to follow up actual NFL games that happened. You know, week one of the NFL season happened. We actually have real things that happen on the football field to talk about and as it pertains to fantasy football. As always, I get to call on some of my favorite friends in the industry to join me on this podcast. And I have a very special guest here following week one, and it's someone we didn't have on the show at all last year, uh, and I really regretted it, so I wanted to get him on the show early this year. And it's a great friend of mine, Denny Carter from NBC Sports Edge, kind of Roto World now. Are we allowed to call it Roto World? We're Uh, we're saying, Rich, we're saying powered by Roto World. Oh, all right. Yeah, cool, cool. (laughs) It's the fuel. fuel. Think of it as the gas tank. We We put Roto World in the gas tank of NBC Sports Edge, and it goes. Yeah, you know, it is interesting because Roto World was such a a, a great brand growing up. Uh, but it is funny, like how, like when you look back on it, like at the times, it's like, you know, it was kind of dated, but you know, everyone loves it. So I got my Roto World swag from you guys at the Canon yeah. Expo. I'm, gr- I'm glad to have it. I'm glad to see that, that it actually is back. But, you know, we have football to talk about. Real games, you know, we don't have to we don't have to talk about prognostication, prognostication and projections and all these things that we kicked around for eight months. Yeah. It's all thrown thrown in the wood. Uh, we're set on fire. Uh, yeah, it, it's great to have it back. Before we jump into the games, though, I did want to mention, you know, it, it is special having you on because a lot of people may not know the story. You're actually the person that gave me my first job in the industry. You're the one that hired me, so called, like discovered me. I still send you ten percent. everything so like technically warren is paying you too that's uh you know i'm always eternally grateful to you we've met in person a few times hung out with your family and always a pleasure to hang out we've gone on vacation together uh the the infamous frisbee you know attempt uh you know last year but i'm always you know forever grateful that you've opened up and and put me onto this path because the door that you opened for me uh so listen namaste i appreciate you brother of course man hey you're the one you're the one who ran with it all the way to a career and uh and and so it's 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 all on you really and and for those who don't know i'm sure i've told this story once or twice over the years but um back when i was new to the industry rich would be in my mentions on like monday morning tuesday morning when we were kind of going over stats and what happened on sunday and eventually i was like I was a little aggravated because I was like, wait, this guy's making good points. Like this guy's making better points than I'm making. So what, what's up with that? Who, who does this guy think he is? And I said, okay, Denny, don't, don't get mad. Get this guy to write something. I said, Hey, can you write? You said, no. I said, good. Uh, <laughs> I said, then just, just put down your thoughts on paper and we'll publish it somewhere. And, there, and it went from there. Yeah, I love it. And not to try on you because you actually have a writing background, but I remember the conversation and you were like, I was like, I'm not a writer. And you kind of were like, you don't have to be. And I was like, all right, cool. Like then I'm in. And it always reminded me of the story where, you know, John Cruck was on an airplane and, you know, people were coming and asking for his autograph and the woman next to him was like, you know, who are you? And he was like, Oh, I'm I'm a baseball player. And she was like, You don't look like an athlete. And he's like, Oh no, I'm a baseball player. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of what you uh, how it is being a fantasy football writer. Uh, yeah, right, <laughs> right. I'm not I'm not a writer. I'm a fan football writer. <laughs> right, absolutely. All right, so listen, let's dive in. There's a lot that happened, a lot to digest that happened in week one, and a lot of fallout that happened from these games. Obviously, you know, we don't want to push the panic button and everything, but we talked about with Sigmund Bloom a week ago. Week one is all about the reveal and Mm -hmm. the the start of like the recalibration process of the fantasy football season and things we need to adjust let's start with the first game that happened all the way back which feels like a year ago now that thursday night game that 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 rams bills game uh and let's talk about the fallout there because not only did the rams look like arguably the worst team in the league in week one uh the cowboys thankfully played on sunday night and took that away from them uh but there's a lot of moving parts here we did not see cam Akers really play at all daryl henderson uh basically was among the league leaders in, in snap partition ratio snap participation rate among running backs running back usage backfield touches um is this a situation where you believe cam Akers was kind of just injured and he's back or does Cam Akers look like the deadiest of the dead zone running backs of the summer? Yeah, I mean, it's the I think it's the worst case scenario uh, that, that that we feared going into the season, where it's like, okay, well, he's gonna Akers is gonna look better than he did in the last few weeks of of the twenty twenty one season and into the postseason, but uh, it's not that's not the case. And and you know, uh, Sean McVay said afterward, you know, he didn't, he didn't make any excuses. He said, look, if when Akers gets the ball, he has to be able to do something with it. He has to make the most of his opportunity. 
that's that to me that was a quote that spoke volumes about about where the team is with their backfield and I, I'm sure Akers is going to get playing time this week against Atlanta, but you you can't possibly play him in 12 team leagues, right? No, not at all. And I thought the your point there leading in McVay's commentary after the game was kind of like the telling thing. Like he didn't stick up for him and, and not no. from just a play stance, but also didn't like go cart back to the injury. There were no excuses. So it is very troubling going forward. I mean, he definitely looks like one of the worst picks. And Daryl Henderson is always the reason why we say the way you can make the red zone, the dead zone yeah. of running backs work for you is that you get the handcuffs to those guys. That's where you get your handcuff attachment. Yeah. Yes. And Daryl Henderson already looks like one of the better late round picks, you know, attached to that offense. Now we'll see. I mean, this offensive line has a lot of issues. They lost Brian Allen also in that game. They were 31st in EPA rushing as a team last year. It doesn't look like they'll be any better. But also in that same game, you know, we saw Matthew Stafford generally just play one of the worst games we've ever seen. Again, like he was based on expectations, he was arguably the worst quarterback in the NFL in week one outside of maybe Dak Prescott. And it wasn't just the amount of, of pressure that the Bills got, which was significant. I mean, Stafford took seven sacks, was on, under pressure for 38% of his dropbacks. But when kept clean, Stafford also was trash. Both of his interceptions came while yeah. he was from a clean pocket, just 5.7 yards for pass attempt. Is this something paired with the elbow maintenance that we know he dealt with all summer something we should be concerned about and then also tie that into what happened to Allen Robinson in week one where basically the worst of our fears were kind of for one week confirmed that Allen Robinson looked like Allen Robinson on the Bears that's right uh well we'll get to Allen Robinson in a second Stafford is a major issue right now uh not actually for Cooper Cup and and uh, uh Ben Gretsch from Stealing Signals made this point leading up to the season and I thought it was a great point uh that kind of went under the radar is is that uh, if Stafford has an elbow injury and and he does I mean I think it was clear that he was throwing differently I've, I've seen Matthew Stafford throw thousands of passes in the mm-hmm. past dozen years and it never looked like it did last Thursday I'll, I, I will say that just from a film aspect as you know I'm a big film guy uh, and, and so that, that is an issue. It's not an issue for Cooper cup because all Cooper cup can do is get, you know, three to five yard receptions and then turn them into 15, 20 yard receptions with yards after the catch. So it's not going to affect him. It's going to affect the boundary receivers, including Allen Robinson. If Matthew Stafford cannot get the ball out, you talked about how bad Stafford was. Uh, I know that, um, the, you guys at, at sharp talked a lot about how Stafford was so good under pressure last year. Uh, wasn't the case terrible without pressure against Buffalo only the Cowboys quarterbacks both Cooper Rush and Dak Prescott had a lower EPA per play than uh, Stafford on Thursday night I think it's I think it's a major issue going forward and it makes me bearish on every Ram except for a Cooper Cup yeah it's interesting because obviously they have the extended rest against the Falcons this week and they have Arizona the week after but then you know Things do after their kind of week seven bye week get kind of sketchy again. It's going to be interesting to see if maybe it's really fleeting, like the Rams bounce back. They win by double digits this week, and it's kind of fool's gold. But in that matchup with the Falcons, are are you going back to a guy like Allen Robinson? I mean, if you look at the pros for Allen Robinson, he was on the field a ton. I mean, but he was targeted just twice, and one of them was very loose use of the word target that last 50 50 ball trip in the end zone uh only mac hollins was the only wide receiver targeted at a lower rate per route in week one than Allen robinson if you look at this falcons matchup in the top do you just say like all right this maybe is a situation like the packers a year ago where they get flooded week one this offense bounces back uh or do you need to see something now from Allen robinson to get him back in your lineup I okay, so I, I actually have Allen Robinson in two leagues. I'm doing everything I can not to play him this week. Everything, <laughs> and I'm talking like I'm going to play. I'm thinking about playing Sterling Shepard over him. Um, you know, if we get good word on like, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to go too far, <laughs> but I'm looking at Greg Dortch very seriously <laughs> as, as, as a replacement for Allen Robinson this week because I, I have to see something. It's so it's not it's not that Allen Robinson appeared washed by any means. He appeared lost in that in that offense. Like, right? You see these a bunch of. Uh, I saw a couple cutups where he just he's just kind of meandering around, not not involved in the play at all, not really part of the play. Uh, nothing designed for him. Yeah. So okay, he's out there running all the routes almost, 
but so is Tyler Higby, and no one cares about him. Right. So I, I, I have to see it. I'm, I'm very scared about Allen Robinson's long-term prospects. Yeah, Allen Robinson was a guy I thought was a sensational fit in this offense. And week one, everything looks dark, <laughs> like absolute dark. It's really hard to feel good about what we saw because not only was it bad, it was like bottom rung bad. And anytime you, you go to the bottom there, that same game this weekend, let's stay there for a second, Rams-Falcons. Um, you know, this past weekend was another game where we come out, you know, a lot of us that use analytics and we focus on usage and we're going to come out of last week and we're going to say, you know what, who cares about the what we got in the box score? Kyle Pitts was damn fine. I mean, he was targeted on 22.6% of the team targets. That was fifth among all tight ends. He had a 13-yard A dot. Uh, that was sixth among tight ends. Don't, who cares about the two catches for 19 yards? Is this, Are we just doing the same thing we did last year in like a deja vu sense? Or are you still bullish on, you know, Kyle Pitts, you know, turning this thing around? Yeah, I mean, that that's why I, I always hesitated to take Kyle Pitts this year, even though I want him to be extraordinary, okay? Like, I, I want mm-hmm. him to – remember that play against the Jets in the preseason where he just like fakes that out route and then like like jets down? And he looks he looks like the fastest receiver in the league. That's the sort of thing that, you know, makes your mouth water as a fantasy drafter. And you're like, oh, I, I got to have this guy. But he's in he's in a bad offense. He's in a bad offense. Arthur Smith's out here complimenting his Pitts' blocking, you know, like that. Like that's that's ugly. That's that's not that, I don't think that's a great sign. And I I just I struggle to see an avenue to Pitts like putting up like crazy high numbers at all this year, except for maybe some spike tweaks. Uh, and this, the Falcons all, they want to be conservative. Like they want to be balanced. They have a rushing quarterback right now. Uh, maybe if Desmond Ritter gets the job eventually, maybe things will turn around a little bit, but I, I think it's, I think it's very concerning. You can't bench Kyle Pitts and you shouldn't, but uh, it's, it's, it's an issue. Yeah, Kyle Pitts is he's such a good talent. There's almost like a fear of like having like a take against him. Like, you know, because he's the kind of guy like you feel like he oh, this is just gonna make me look stupid eventually. Right. Um, but we did this like the entirety of all last year. Yeah, and right. for me now, too, it's not just a bet on the Falcons, it's a bet on Arthur Smith. And Arthur Smith has done some interesting things this offseason, obviously, with the increased use of the pistol. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, last week they they used pistol more than it doubled than than any other team in the NFL. And it opened up all this ability against like this rushing opportunity for a guy like Cordell Patterson and Marcus Mariota. But they still can't find a way to get Kyle Pitts like open against any type of team's like best defender. I mean, he's just blanketed by Marshawn Lattimore. Then we go to like the four o'clock hour and we're watching Justin Jefferson just run around and everybody knows Justin Jefferson's the best player in the Vikings. And somehow there's not a guy within 25 yards of him. on like, you know, five, five of his targets. And (laughs) where are these plays for Kyle Pitts? Like where's Arthur Smith designing stuff like advantageous opportunities for Kyle Pitts. And we haven't seen that for really 17 out of the 18 games Kyle Pitts has played his career outside of that game in London against yeah. the Jets. Um, and it's just, it's a bet on Arthur Smith as well. Right. It was, uh, <laughs> it turns out that the Falcons were a terrible landing spot for Kyle Pitts. Um, and, and maybe for, for some time, I'm just looking at his route data from week one. Uh, Pitts ran eight routes uh, f- from inline, which is, uh, you know, not insignificant. Uh, he also stayed in to block on passing play seven times. That's too many. It's too yes. many. Like, yeah. what, what, what are we doing? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, like you, you really, you're going to use the, this unicorn, as he's been called, to pass block. I like run block, maybe whatever. But pass block, you're going to hold him in and and send other people out in routes. No, that's that's garbage. Yeah, and I don't know if anyone's done a peek ahead on the Falcons' like schedule, but uh, it is disastrous. Like for the large like portion of the season, uh, that's yeah. another thing to look at too. You know, coming out of this, but feel good about Mariota if you got him as a streamer while we can. Um, let's talk about another situation that was actually bad. I promise we're going to talk about some things that went good too as well. This is not going to just be a glass half empty uh, podcast here, but kind of the biggest news of the weekend, and we kind of circled around it a little bit, was what happened in Dallas on Sunday night. And, you know, their expectations were low, at least for me. I talked about it with Dan Pazuda on our, like, kind of air quotes, real football podcast uh, last week that, you know, just the lack of talent around the Cowboys was really concerning. And while Prescott was in the game, it was evident that that was an issue. And now if Dak Prescott 
missing at least four weeks, potentially longer, you know, if we're not trusting the medical diagnosis of Jerry Jones. Uh, what are we doing with the Cowboys that we still have rostered? I mean, C.D. Lamb was – he was up to a one-two turn pick, especially in FFPC drafts to, to close the fantasy draft season. Um, what are we doing with Ezekiel Elliott? The, the Cowboys looked like they never even watched Tony Pollard play a game of football on Sunday night. Uh, how are we handling this moving forward here for now, potentially the next – month two months yeah well first of all the polish stuff just in in hindsight and really in the moment in the summer felt like mm-hmm. wish casting it just yeah. it's just like we can't will this to happen like you you just can't and the team is totally committed to ezekiel elliott whatever uh but as for uh, cd lamb so uh michael gelkin who covers the cowboys um he had a tweet today said uh cd lamb caught 18 percent of his targets against the bucks that's lowest rate of the 89 players in week one who saw five or more targets. I mean, that that's uh, that's pretty dark. That's pretty, pretty bleak. Um, it I think it means probably that CeeDee Lamb will continue to see double-digit targets, but there's a question as to whether that matters a whole lot with the quality of throws that are going to come his way from Cooper Rush. So, I mean, if you if you drafted him, I saw I had people today or yesterday saying, uh, what, what can I get for CeeDee Lamb, you know, if I'm going to trade him? You can't get much like uh, I, I, I wouldn't do that. You know, I mean, everybody saw the game. Everybody sees the stats. So, you know, pump the brakes on on trading him away. But you can't feel confident in him as anything more. I don't know than a wide receiver two, maybe. Yeah, I mean, if you're just looking at it from like a volume stance and, you know, the one game that Cooper Rush did play last year, he did have over 100 yards, but, you know, always grain of salt that because Cooper Rush played that game, you know, with Tyron Smith, you know, with Connor Williams at left guard, yeah. with Amari Cooper on the field, with Cedric Wilson on the field. Uh, so big grain of salt in the output of looking at Cooper Cup's like one isolated start last year versus what we're going to get moving forward behind mm-hmm. this one Cowboys offensive line that is now going to be probably counting on 40-year-old Jason Peters to play left tackle. Um, and outside of Dalton Schultz and CeeDee Lamb, like Noah Brown is like a heavily heavily invested like target guy for them yeah. until Michael Gallup comes back. I will say Schultz is the one guy I think is like okay, and it's probably just because the position he plays and the amount of opportunity he gets at that position. Uh, probably the ball is going to keep coming out hot. I mean, he had seven catches. He gets a little more elevation in PPR leagues. You're counting on some touchdowns from this Cowboys offense. That's probably a, a little more far-fetched. But I will say Schultz is the one guy that, that can probably kind of at least live in context of the position he plays. Well, and I, I have to say about CeeDee Lamb, uh, something caught my attention and, and made me, uh, you know, back off of him a little bit mm-hmm. in the preseason was – was your the, the the sharp football analysis preseason report on all all the mm-hmm. teams? Um, sorry if I butchered the name there, but uh, uh, you know where there was a lot in there about how Amari Cooper may right Amari Cooper may have uh, been you know or was in a lot of measurements by a lot of measurements the number one the best Cowboys receiver in that offense last year, and that when he was off the field. CD Lamb struggled, you know, EPA wise, uh, um, you know, efficiency wise. So I, I had some questions headed in and, and week one didn't it didn't make me feel any better. Yeah, has not now scored a touchdown since week 10 of last season. Four fewer catches in each of his past five games played. Uh, we're really counting on that, that target buoy, right? Just that that's what yeah. we're really counting yeah. on at this point. Um, and I, I, I'm assuming that, uh, you know, if you have the Bengals defense on your waiver wire, uh, they're going to oh. be a top top priority ad this weekend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the Steelers are the only ones I'm going for beyond, you know, above the Bengals, yeah. Uh, yeah. So listen, let's talk, let's talk about, you know, some of that positives that, that happened a little bit before we kind of talk about some other things. And, you know, one of those things we, we saw a lot on Thursday night, we saw when Cooper cup was having the game, he had a lot of tweets going out saying like, this is why all you idiots shouldn't have taken Justin Jefferson ahead of Cooper cup. <laughs> and then we get to Sunday right. and Justin Jefferson, not only is just wrecking the Packers, but again, rational coaching prevailed. I mean, look at some of these catches where Justin Jefferson had in week one, and this is the primary defender that was the closest to him. He had a 22-yard catch against rookie linebacker Quay Walker. He had a 64-yard catch against safety Darnell Savage. He had a five-yard touchdown catch against safety Adrian Amos. He had a 36-yard touchdown catch against Adrian Amos. Notice I'm not bringing up any cornerbacks. Yes. No man coverage. Like, 
rational coaching prevailed. And, you know, we heard a lot about Justin Jefferson in a Cooper Cup role. And we kind of got the saw got to see a good sample in week one of just how creative uh, this Vikings offense is going to be. Now, Justin Jefferson already top priority in fantasy drafts. We feel good about him going forward. But what did you see from the Vikings offense as a whole, uh, and, you know, to kind of like fall yeah. back on this, that you're excited about probably the potential of this offense big picture? I think, you know, trying to score points, which is new <laughs> for the Vikings. Uh, you know, they – under Mike Zimmer, they seem to be one of these teams who, and I'm, I, you know, I'm only being half facetious here. One of these teams that said, you know, we're going to score 20 points. And if it's enough, it's enough. And if it's not, we didn't play good defense, you know, like, like that, that was the kind of the approach under Zimmer. I, I, and I know they didn't exactly light up the scoreboard here against Green Bay, which was a little bit of a surprise. Um, Dalvin Cook struggled with a lot of volume, but, but uh, it was, it was good to see them being aggressive they were aggressive on first down, at least more aggressive than they had been uh, in previous years. And uh, I, I think, you know, what, like you talked about, getting Justin Jefferson into favorable matchups against linebackers, against safeties, and any team that plays zone against the Vikings is going to be eaten alive uh, by, by this approach, by saying Justin Jefferson is our main weapon. He is the centerpiece of our offense. We're going to get him into favorable spots. This is a a, a huge departure from last year where the, where it was just the Vikings saying, Hey, Justin, you, you go do your thing and good luck. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll throw you the ball if you get open. Whereas now he's being schemed open. It's a huge difference. And it's the reason everybody was drafting him. Uh, not everybody, but most people were drafting him above Cooper Cup. Yeah. It's be really interesting how the Eagles approached this after watching last week's game and what the Packers did, because under Jonathan Gannon, who, you know, comes from that Matt Everfliss tree, like they have, they played the eighth highest rate of zone coverage since he's been there. So yeah. I'm really curious to see how they recalibrate. Cause you know, they've got guys like James Bradbury and Darius Slay. But I mean, the other thing is, is like, you're just putting him in a one-on-one coverage and I mean, who's really locking him down anyways. Um, one of the there were some other guys this week that you know that were kind of drafted in, with one foot in one foot out you know kind of we've it, they were dead zone technically running backs but they were the more optimistic guys and that is Travis Etienne and Brees Hall and we saw in week one that those two guys might have a little more competition you know out of the gates than expected. Yeah, you know, I, I, Etienne was real close to putting up uh, a, a nice game mm -hmm. against Washington. Obviously he dropped well, Trevor Lawrence missed him on an egregious throw early in the game for a touchdown uh, after ETN had beat, beaten his uh, guy by, I don't know, six yards. And, uh, and then ETN spiked a ball for some reason near the goal line. <laughs> We're not sure what happened there, but so, I mean, it could have, it could have looked amazing for ETN coming out of the gates instead I think there are a lot of questions, you know, is it James Robinson's backfield? I still feel okay about uh, ETN's usage. I mean, James Robinson obviously did not succumb to the Achilles situation like a Cam Akers. He looks, he appears to be all the way back somehow. Um, but I, I, I don't think that you need to, in it, like 12 team league, you don't need to bench Travis Etienne. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, this Jags team is going to be chasing points that that defense is probably really bad. Okay. They're probably going to have to chase points again this week against the Colts. It, it, you're okay. Rolling him out there. Yeah. Yeah. He, if he catches this, catches the one touchdown, it doesn't spike the other one. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're looking at uh, a, a real good situation where it, it kind of smooths things over uh, a little bit between the, the line and, you know, talk about playing catch up. I mean, that was still his role. Passing downs were still completely his role. You worry about maybe the the, the touchdowns, especially when you don't cash in the, the receiving ones that you do get because running backs generally just don't catch a lot of receiving touchdowns in the NFL. So it was a complete Rorschach test. I think how you look at the Jacksonville backfield, I will, say that uh it was troubling that trevor lawrence continued to struggle as bad as he did uh, and it was a real tough week for the 2021 rookie quarterback class anyways coming out in week one zach wilson got a pass because he didn't play but trevor lawrence uh trey lance justin fields uh mac jones like these guys did not really alleviate any concerns surrounding them Trevor, I I said on Twitter, I don't I don't get Trevor Lawrence. I don't know what what are we doing here. Like I I think you know I watched the end of that game where he rolls out to his left and it looks like he's playing the game five hundred. You you you're familiar with five hundred, right? Where you throw the ball, you shout out. Yep. I mean, and I saw that a bunch last year where he just 
He just chucks it up into the air, and there's like no one around. There's just defenders being like basically calling a fair catch. Like, what? What? What is that? Like, what? What does he do exactly? Because it <laughs> it doesn't seem you know he's fairly mobile. His his arm is is okay. He's not super accurate. Uh, his decision making is questionable at best. Um, I I I thought that we were going to see like a big step forward, and week one was concerning. I think. Yeah, yeah. He also missed another wide open touchdown to Zay Jones, which was like a high school level throw, like the ETN throw, where yeah. it's just like really shocking. Like when you see NFL quarterbacks miss those throws. Um, you know, I always go back to when Trevor Lawrence was coming out and he was treated like as an Andrew Luck level prospect. You know, teams are basically saying for three years, like he's going to be the number one pick. And in my quarterback model coming out, his top two comps were Jared Goff and Teddy Bridgewater. And I just always go back to that now, like thinking in my head, like when he continues to struggle of like, and how it's worked out with those two players in the NFL, like, wow, like, man. The computer might have known all along. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I saw I saw a few models. I remember talking to you about that. I, I and and there, there was some some other you know analytical uh, analyses of of Trevor Lawrence coming out where you look and you go, wait, what? Like he's generational. He's like you get, I've heard him. I remember he was described as the Megatron of quarterbacks. I'm like, come on, man. Like, what? <laughs> I, you know, his. I mean, Justin Fields was a better prospect by by many measurements. So I don't I don't really get it and. I'm afraid we're we're looking at a, a somewhat long season unless unless the Jags can just kind of cover him up, kind of hide him. The one good thing that we at least saw in week one is it looks like the pass catchers for the Jaguars are going to have yeah. a lot more viability than the dusty guys they were trotting out last year. You know, they had signed Marvin Jones and, you know, Marvin Jones is a solid player, but, you know, they were re- relying on guys like Laquan Treadwell and LaVisca Chenault. And like, it looks like at least Christian Kirk and Zay Jones are going to be able to put up like receptions. Right. And we didn't have that last year. And at least we do have that. One of the guys that we just talked about in that same context was Trey Lance and it was rough for Trey Lance in week one. And now I've seen this, you know, kind of thrown out, like, you know, you know, I saw Ben. So like a guy that I absolutely respect, you know, from a a film, you know, stance saying about talking about all the good things Trey Lance did in week one as well. Um, You know, and then they, everyone's talked about the weather, obviously in the fourth quarter of that game. I mean, you could barely even see anybody on the screen in that game, but is this just another excuse we're putting in front of Trey Lance? Uh, Like, are are you concerned at all moving forward with with this offense? So I'm, I'm really glad you framed it that way because I I was going to do the same. Um, First of all, Trey Lance had the second most uh, rushing fantasy expected points among quarterbacks uh, so that that's something, okay. That's mm-hmm. something that Lance drafters can hold on to. He had, I think, eleven point eight expected points on the ground. That was second only to Jalen Hurts. Um, uh, that's expected, okay. It wasn't it wasn't actually what he scored, uh, but I think I think that that can be looked at as a positive. But yes, this excuse making. So last week it was the rain. What was it? What's it going to be this week? Is it going to be he didn't get the perfect game script? You know, is it going to be they lost? They lost an offensive lineman. It, maybe Brandon Ayuk got banged up. Like it's always going to be something. I'm telling you, Trey Lance is probably not going to get through this season. I I I was saying this in the preseason. I don't think that Kyle Shanahan is going to put up with Trey Lance struggling on a win now team. This is a win now. This is not a developing team. This right. is a team that is an, in its Super Bowl window, and we know that Super Bowl windows last about 15 minutes. Okay. It's not, it's going to come and go. And there, so I, I'm, I'm afraid that Trey Lance is probably on thin ice already. Yeah, this is going to be a really telling week, I think, for Trey Lance and a really huge week. One from a couple angles. Uh, one is that, you know, you can go back to that game in the rain last, last week. They were really kind of nursing him along anyways before the rain even got bad. I mean, the first half he was just 6 of 10 passing for 70 yards. They ran the ball 18 times to 11 passes. Like, that was right an initial signal of like, oh, we might not get there for fantasy. Like, because, <laughs> you know, like, unless he scores a rushing touch, like, they're just not going to put the ball in the air. And you wonder in week two now, how does Kyle Shanahan handle this? Because you're getting the Seahawks on a short week. Your home, huge favorites with a rest advantage. Uh, weather's not going to be a concern. You know, we think it, you're at least looking forward out to it right now. Like, do you try to instill confidence in a player like Trey Lance or do you try to just win the game? 
And I'm really curious to see how Kyle Shanahan handles that this week. If they play aggressively, like the Eagles, you know, did in week one, like Jalen Hurts wasn't perfect as a passer last week, but we see like the Eagles want to know what they have in Jalen Hurts. Are the 49ers going to turn into a team like the Eagles of 2021 where they just try to hide Trey Lance and win games? Right. Uh, Because that's going to be hard to do. It's hard to win that way. It's hard to be a winning formula. This is a huge week. Uh, for Trey Lance against the Seahawks defense that kind of was, I know the final score, they win the game against Denver, but they kind of were the defense that we thought they were going to be some kind of fluky red zone turnovers, like kind of pulled the thing out, but like they got roasted through the air in that game. Yeah. So I'm really curious to see how Kyle Shanahan approached it. Cause the way Kyle Shanahan approaches this game, not Trey Lance, how the way Kyle Shanahan approaches this game is going to tell me a lot more uh, that I need to know about Trey Lance than, than Trey Lance is going to. Yeah, it's a great spot for him. I mean, uh, you know, uh, uh, J.J. Zacharyson, our buddy, mentioned that uh, Denver was uh, top three, I believe, in yards per play in week mm-hmm. one. You know, they had the two uh, goal line uh, fumbles. They, they should have they put up 30 points plus, obviously, mm-hmm. and, uh, against Seattle. So uh, at home against the, a Seahawks defense that's burnable, um, if it doesn't happen this week, I think there will be major questions, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing to look at the 49ers, too, is uh, they allowed pressure on 38% of Lance's dropbacks. That's 13 highest in the league, and the Bears didn't blitz one time. Uh, they're going to be facing a lot better yeah. defense than the Bears along the way right. here. So definitely a concerning element there as well. Uh, let's talk about a couple other like front-end running backs uh, in drafts. Uh, one, Alvin Kamara picked up the rib injury. Also was asked, another one of these guys was asked to pass block more, more than any point in his career in that game. Uh, didn't have the production. You know, we look back at last year, was it always kind of fool's gold the way Alvin Kamara was kind of used because the Saints just didn't have a lot of weaponry? And, and is he going to get kind of squeezed out now that they have all these pieces? I mean, how confident are you in what we saw from Alvin Kamara in week one? Yeah, I, no, I mean, you know, he gets nine nine carries in a in – in a game against, you know, probably not, not, a, not a great Atlanta front seven. It's, it's just very curious usage. I know he got the rib injury, but honestly, I did, I, you know, the rib injury didn't happen until the fourth quarter, apparently. Right. So the Taysom usage and everything near the green zone was not predicated on like, Oh, Alvin's banged up. We gotta, we gotta figure out another way. That was, that was just the plan. <laughs> so I, I, uh, man, I, I think that it is, a fairly scary situation that, um, you know, he wasn't involved in the past game. You know, I, I know, I know that there is this thought that, okay, well, the, the saints were down and they had to, they had to pass a lot. Well, it used to, it used to be where uh, Alvin Kamara would thrive in that game script, right? He, he would, he would end up with six to eight catches and who knows what he could do with that, but not, not recently, not with Jameis Winston, not in the post Drew Brees era. So I'm thinking that him and uh, Kamara in the second round was uh, not great. Yeah, you know, I was thinking, you know, looking at it from like, oh, we're going to get Alvin Kamara like with this great discount. You know, this it, will he be suspended? Will he not be? And, you know, at one point he was going in the fourth round That's over right. the summer. Yeah. And, you know, everyone was ready to count their bags. And, you know, yeah, almost a not so fast situation. I mean, he the, the fact that he blocked on a career high 11 passing snaps was the part that was very weird to me uh again because you know we don't have sean payton here anymore you know pete carmichael's been there basically the entire tenure uh so you would you know absolutely the entire time alvin kamara has been there so it was very odd to see him used in that capacity uh the saints offensive line proved to be kind of an issue again uh you know he he did not really wasn't efficient on the touches he got they all had a ton of pressure we wonder if we have to deal with that again uh in that in that same game we saw the ghost of michael thomas return Yes. Uh, You know, we had to wait till the fourth quarter to get there. But, you know, Michael Thomas looked like a bully again, you know, especially on A.J. Terrell, a guy who allowed zero touchdown receptions last year in his coverage. Uh, Talk about the Saints pass catchers a little bit and how you feel about them coming out of week one. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Thomas was shockingly good, you know, uh, eight targets on 33 routes, a team high 33 routes. Uh, It looks like uh, he only played in the slot 17% of the time because Jarvis Landry was there 82% of the time. Um, so it's, I don't think they're going to be moving him around much, uh, but I think he fits, you know, he, he, he probably fits Jameis Winston's game uh, pr- pretty well. Um, Winston obviously with a strong arm can get it over to the boundary, but then again, Jarvis Landry 
was was really good too. And the thing is with Jarvis Landry, I, I said this on a Roto World football show in the summer, like everywhere he's gone, every team he's been on, no matter what, no matter how good or bad, he's just he just commands targets. Like he's just a target, uh, like sponge, you know. Uh, and and I think we're seeing that again here. So uh, for PPR purposes, I'm I'm very excited about Landry. I think I think folks could do a lot worse than to pick him up. I think he's available in over half of leagues uh, this week. Um, but yeah, Thomas's usage was was good. Do you have any uh, particular insights that will make me even more bullish on him? <laughs> I mean, it, it's tough because you know the Saints' offense was so bad through three quarters, and then like everyone kind of got there at the end, uh, you know, and it was kind of like a hair on fire situation. And you know, it's it's hard for me. It's only one game, but it's hard for me also to erase like how they called that game for three quarters. So we talked a little about Alvin Kamara, right? Like, I don't want to just completely ignore that either, especially on a team that's going to face the, the Buccaneers this week, yeah, you yeah. know? Uh, and, you know, I just absolutely worry a little bit about what Pete Carmichael did in week one. Now, it's just one game, and they did get it together. So uh, it, it is interesting. But I wonder how much water that, like, fourth quarter is going to carry for all these guys kind of moving forward versus the the three quarters that were a disaster against the Falcons team. Like you said, that we want to beat up on. We want to beat up on the Falcons. We want to do to smash them. Uh, I'm, I'm in, in that same game uh, that this week, they play the Buccaneers, and we had the Buccaneers on Sunday night roll Chris Godwin out. And unfortunately, Chris Godwin uh, aggravates a hamstring. He didn't, you know, re-injure his ACL or thing, but, you know, it could have been a, a, you know, a compensation injury. We'll see. But it looks like Godwin definitely, they're going to probably take it pretty cautious and he's going to be out. Uh, we saw the ghost of Julio Jones come back and, and look like really good. Uh, yeah. And, you know, Russell Gage is probably floating out there in a lot of leagues. Um, what are we doing to kind of, you know, handle the fallout of Chris Godwin now, planning for him now to be off the field here. Yeah. Well, uh, Gage played basically or, or ran basically every slot uh, route after the Godwin injury. Well, I should say in, in the in the second half of that game, you know, he's banged up to Russell Gage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we can bank on him being the primary slot guy, at least for the next couple of weeks while Godwin recovers from the hamstring. Uh, Julio Jones led the team in air yards and like basically – rested in for most of the fourth quarter you know you saw him like yucking it up with Brady on the sideline uh so I I do I think Julio is like almost a must start in 12 team leagues I mean they he's really interesting to me and he's available in a lot of spots I I read the waiver wire column for uh, NBC Sports Edge and and uh folks are asking like um do you prefer this receiver over Julio the answer was always Julio like like get get Julio on your team while Godwin is out, uh, they, his usage was was really good. Like I mentioned, there was the air the the, the air yards, a, a pretty solid target per route run rate. So it, it all looked it all looked good. It, the only thing I would say, if Julio could not take a minute to recover from every catch, that would be great. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's the his entirety his entire career has been like uh, wondering if he's hurt every single play. Every. Uh, <laughs> The way he gets up, yeah, I'm a, a terrible host. That not even mentioning that you wrote the col- you write the column for NBC, uh, you know, following the, the the long list of greats who have wrote that column. Yeah. Um, and in and in that column, your number, I believe, it was your number one ad. I don't think Julio was your number one ad. It was it was Josh Palmer. Uh, we're not expecting yeah. to have Keenan Allen on Thursday night, short week hamstring, very tough. Although, you know, we've seen Keenan come out and do his, you know, don't bench me, you know, before, and then we wish we benched him. Uh, What are we anticipating? Because, you know, a lot of people are looking at DeAndre Carter too and what he did in week one as well. You know, uh, what makes you so bullish on Josh Palmer as the guy? Yeah, I know. I know it didn't really work out. It didn't work out for any Chargers pass catcher last week, really, Mm -hmm. except for for if you're in a 2014 league and you started DeAndre Carter. Um, you know, <laughs> Palmer, but, but Palmer had good usage. He ran the second most routes uh, behind Mike Williams, who apparently is still on the team. Um, you know, last year when Keenan Allen missed week 14 against the Giants, Palmer, uh, he, he had uh, five of, he caught five of seven targets for 66 yards and a touchdown. He led the Chargers offense in targets per route run and weighted opportunity rating, which is kind of a, like a measurement of a player's share of targets mm-hmm. and air yards uh you know in other words he was really good he was really good when he got a full complement of snaps and a good number of targets so 
I, I would ignore the, um, you know, thin production from, from week one and just go ahead and pick him up and, and try, try to play him. If you're, if you're in a 12 team league that starts up to four receivers, you should be able to fit him in somewhere in your lineup. Yeah. The thing I like about Palmer is obviously with Keenan Allen going out now, he's going to play in two wide receiver sets. Right. And that's the difference between him and Carter. Carter had 24 of his 25 snaps when the Chargers went to 11 personnel. Uh, and the Chargers only used 11 personnel on 59% of their snaps in week one. That was 20th in the NFL and only on 62% of their pass plays, which was 22nd. So you're still going to need like Carter just to be hyper efficient. His opportunity just isn't going to be as strong as Palmer's, even though Palmer didn't have uh, the receiving line. He's another one of those guys that should have had a, a touchdown in week one and maybe yeah. things look a little different. Uh, Herbert didn't miss many in week one, uh, but there was one if he had a little more time that, that Palmer was open. Um your top running back ad this week was I blew a segue earlier, you know, looking at this right now, you know, we were talking about Trey Lance and the 49ers and didn't even bring up. I, I totally botched it. Uh, the, the Elijah Mitchell injury, uh, another guy who might've had a compensation, you know, injury. He missed the entire preseason uh, with the hamstring injury. He injures his knee. They're playing on him being out, you know, eight weeks. Uh, how are we handling the fallout of this 49ers backfield now? Yeah, I, I think expectations should be held firmly in check for Jeff Wilson. I, I did have him as uh, a top waiver wire ad because, you know, it, it makes sense in the short term. It also depends on your roster construction. Like, you know, I said on on the I do a, a Q&A on the NFL on NBC YouTube page every Tuesday at one o'clock Eastern time. The only legitimate time zone. Sorry, Rich. Um <laughs> Wait, are you in Eastern? I am you? Eastern. I am, oh, you I am Eastern. So we're yeah, good. Yeah, no. So, so not sorry. You're you're on my team. Uh, <laughs> and and I and I mentioned, you know, if you if you started with you know like two running backs off the top in your draft, you don't have any interest in Jeff Wilson. Like this is not a league winning pickup. Okay, this is like if you went zero RB or hero RB or whatever, you're looking for you're looking to churn and burn at RB two. You could do way worse than pick up Jeff Wilson and play him this week. Um, Jeff Wilson has not been good, but he, he is, he would seemingly be in line for some volume, uh, in what will likely be positive game script, but really who knows. And then behind him, uh, you know, is, is Tyrion Davis price, who will probably, probably be active this week after being in street clothes in week one. Uh, and behind him or maybe in front of him is Jordan Mason, who got a mm -hmm. little bit of, uh, of training camp buzz. And I and I wrote I looked at their um, their stats from the preseason and I know preseason stats are a little little iffy but I will say that Mason was better mm -hmm. across the board. I'm talking about yards per carry, yards before contact, yards after contact. Uh, it was you know a uh, um, breakaway rate per Pro Football Focus. So uh, you know he he was better. You know the way to play it is if you don't need Jeff Wilson, don't get him. Go ahead and pick up one of the other guys. Yeah, I think that's the, the 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 savvy the savvy take. If you're not, you just need a body this week or short term, uh, because I do believe that Jeff Wilson is from a touch stance going to be that guy in in you know week two. But you know, obviously, when you look at last year, he played four games without Elijah Mitchell and he eclipsed 58 yards in one of them. Uh, you know, if he's going to be that inefficient, eventually they're going to give a, a look at someone else. And that also doesn't factor in what Debo Samuel is going to do here, too, oh, out of the backfield. Yeah. But, yeah, Jordan Mason was by far their best back in the preseason. And it was interesting because at the time, the, uh, the draft pick, Tyrion Davis-Price, was kind of a shocker. The, the draft capital they used on him, it was very Joe Williams-esque. I don't know how much Kyle Shanahan input the, input, had input he had in that, but it was a very puzzling pick. And, you know, Tyrion Davis-Price was not a guy that was very explosive at LSU, kind of got what was blocked. And that's a lot what we saw in the preseason. Yeah. Uh, I love the advice. If you don't need Jeff Wilson, then then just throw like a dollar a fab or a low level on these guys and then, you know, and see how things kind of shake out. Because if Wilson plays like he did the past two years, uh, they're probably going to at least give some of these young guys opportunities to see what they have. Um one of the other guys that really was not drafted and, and a byproduct it was of the preseason uh, of how much steam the, the coaching staff gave him, you know, was Damian Pierce in week one. And immediately the Texans pulled the rug on us in week one and Damian Pierce, what not even was it a timeshare. It was all Rex Burkhead <laughs> in a game that the, that the Texans led throughout, like through, it was 20 to three through three quarters. Right. Uh, 
how are we approaching this Texans running backfield, you know, like moving forward here? So Lovey Smith has had, is doing a great bit uh, over the past <laughs> two days. It's a, it's really funny. And I'm sure he's me, he's being ironic, but he's saying things like, you know, we got to get our starting tailback, more snaps, more carries. Uh, we don't, we don't know why we're looking into it very strongly as to why he wasn't used, but look, man, it's not like it's not like the Texans were down three scores in the second half and they had to switch to Burkhead and Burkhead get, gets a bunch of action. It didn't it was it was ideal for Damian Pierce mm-hmm. to come out swinging to come out with 22 carries or whatever and get goal line work and everything. And no, it didn't happen. And this harkens back to four years in college. He was he never saw more than I think it was 106 touches in a mm-hmm. season. Okay, so like the, like that week one combined with all that from college, I, I think it, it tells a story. Yeah, I mean, we it was tough to know what was going on with that. And we've seen like Dan Mullen do that with players, you know, in college before. And, you know, ironically, one of those guys is Kadarius Tony, who's kind of going through something similar in the NFL. And you wonder behind the scenes kind of what, you know, is, is holding these guys back from kind of fully tapping into uh, all of the talent they have. Because even on Sunday, I mean, Tony got on the field for – he touched the ball twice in that game and looked like a, he was playing a different sport than the other guys on the field. And in this construct of this giant offense where they're pumping eight targets to Richie James, you're just scratching your head. Uh, what the hell is going on here? Uh, in that same game, though, we saw the return of Saquon Barkley. Yes. Saquon, a guy who people were adamant. If you tweeted anything positive about Saquon Barkley over the summer – People were letting you know, there's no way I'm doing this again. He's a, he's a boss. There's no way I'm, I'm drafting him. Uh, and not only was Saquon Barkley the RB1 in week one, I mean, he looks like he might be the best like pick of the opening three rounds. That was a one-game sample. So how confident are you that Barkley's going to you know sustain this? Uh, and, and how good do you feel if you have Saquon Barkley? I You got to feel great if you got <laughs> Saquon Barkley. I, I mean, just fantastic. This, this offense is clearly going to run through him uh, if he stays healthy. And God, I hope he does. Because I think he's, he's in line for just a gigantic season as far as touches, um, you know, as far as goal line work, it's just, it all aligns very well. Uh, he's going to see a, a ton, a ton of work in the passing game. Cause they really, they don't have anybody behind them. And the, and the coaching staff has said, look, it's like Saquon or bust, like in the backfield. Like we're not, we're not rotating. He's our guy. Th- this was, this was telegraphed to us for months before the season. And the only reason anybody would have faded Saquon is because of the, the injury history, which is never a great reason. So, um, yeah, you just got to feel – and you're right. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being like a, a league-winning pick, which is hard to say for a second or third rounder, but we could say it this year. Yeah, it wasn't even just the like the, the explosive runs because we know Barkley was always capable of those. It was good to see those come back. It was just like the, the overall top-down usage and the one – you know, thing that I looked back, you know, what the day ball brought to the giants was just that he used a run heavy game plan, but out of light personnel, you know, yeah. uh, they ran 11 personnel on 85% of their runs, which was third in the league. Mm-hmm. And that just allows you to have lighter boxes and Barkley had 11 carries with six or fewer defenders in the box. Even, even with the giants receivers, I mean, you have to respect personnel and teams are going to go to sub packages and on those 11 carries, he ran for 155 yards, uh, you know, and wow. then we also get the receiving work, you know, I mean, he led all running backs in target share. He ran a pass route on 75% of the dropbacks. That was third among all running backs. Like you just, it just, the opportunity is great. Across from him this week, the Giants are playing the Panthers, and Christian McCaffrey, he got over with the touchdown. The usage really wasn't an overall problem in terms of playing time, but you know it looked like it's the opposite direction, where Matt Rule devised the game plan around Baker Mayfield in the passing game and not Christian McCaffrey. Amazing. So I'm not going to try to get us to say, like, are you like terrified of Christian McCaffrey like moving forward? We know like a lot of people are still going to be in, and you got the touchdown, but... Let's say if we were shuffling things up right now and drafting today with week one, knowing what we know, mm-hmm. how confident are you taking him one-on-one overall? Not, I'm not doing, I'm not doing that. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I probably taken Barkley one-on-one overall if, if we're redrafting today. Uh, yeah. 
I, I don't think it's going to be a disaster uh, if he's healthy all season. Like, it'll probably be fine. But, you know, I'm just, I was looking at um, his expected receiving points because, you know, that that's where mm-hmm. that's where he's going to make his money, you know, in, as yeah. a yep. pass catcher. Right. And, you know, it was very modest. We have uh, 7.9 expected receiving points, which is in line with, like, Kenny Gainwell and Naheem Hines. Um if like, I'm not saying that that's the end all be all, like that's the way it's going to be, but the Panthers are going to have to make a concerted effort to get him involved and make him the centerpiece or at least a centerpiece of the passing attack. If he's going to deliver anything close to his ADP, I'm, I'm a little concerned. Yeah. And I mean, they didn't even get DJ Moore involved in that game either, no, uh, no. <laughs> which was also, you know, kind of concerning when you look at it from a top down stance. Uh, yeah. I mean, you are someone that is more of an aggressive wide receiver drafter. And obviously the way week one played out, when you look at the top of the, not just the highest scoring players, but also the top of like the receiver room. And it's all of yeah. these front end receivers. And I had talked to a, a lot of, you know, sharp football subscribers over the course of the season uh, the off season that, you know, I was someone that I love to have one of those bell cow running backs, but the way how tight the elite wide receiver tier was this year, I thought there was a big drop off, you know, after Stefan Diggs this year. And I was really concerned um, past those top five receivers. Uh, I was really nervous that like all these other guys were just going to be the same. And in week one, if you didn't have one of those guys, yeah, it looked really rough. It looked really, really rough. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, I know, I don't, I guess it's me just trying to say, give you, like, do you want to take like a one week victory lap? Uh, uh, no, uh, not yet. Uh, <laughs> not yet. I, we're we're going to, we, I've, I've told the zero RB folks to, <laughs> the, the, the cult to, uh, to hold, hold their, what, what is it? What is that? Uh, now, um, hold your powder. Uh, <laughs> yeah. right? hold your powder. We're, we're going to, we're going to celebrate later this season. It's but one week. One was good for us. Yes. Yeah, it was a, a huge wide receiver week, especially, you know, De- Devontae Adams wrecking, Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup, A.J. Brown, uh, even Tyreek, you know, from a usage stance. Let's talk about the two guys that those th- those two guys just talked about. Let's talk about Tyreek first and then A.J. Brown. Not even so much of what they did, but what they meant for the 2021 rookie wide receivers that they have now supplanted. Obviously, Jalen Waddell gets the 47-yard touchdown, but outside of that, it was all Tyreek Hill in the passing game. Uh, are you nervous about either of those year two wide receivers? Yeah, I mean, Jalen Waddle, his involvement wasn't great. I mean, he caught the fourth down touchdown, which is obviously the biggest play of the game, probably the only reason they ended up winning. Uh, so I'm not, you can't take that away, and I'm not trying, but Tyreek is pretty clearly the focal point of the offense, and I, I, that, and w- which is kind of what I what I was thinking. Like the Dolphins didn't like move heaven and earth to get Tyreek so he could be like the number two behind Jalen Waddle. And nothing against Jalen Waddle. Like he was he he had a breakout in his rookie year. So um, you know, all due respect, but it is it is Tyreek. I will say the nature of the offense and the way that Tua plays. Um, he was just god awful in in week one against the Patriots. Um, Tyreek's going to have to work hard for his fantasy points. It's not going to mm-hmm. be as easy as it was in KC, um, but the volume should be there. So I feel pretty good about him. Yeah. Miami, obviously a weird situation because they, they just control that game kind of turtle, but like they were the slowest paced team of week one. Obviously a byproduct of that is like just how much like preset motion they run. Like it's like every play a guy's moving before the snap. So they, you're never going to yeah. snap it early. Uh, they're a team that, yeah, they might just not run a lot of plays, uh, you know, at all period. And now, you know, Taron Armstead looks like he's not going to play this week, uh, which is not, might, not ideal. Right. Know. They <laughs> might be missing the both, both starting tackles uh, against the Ravens. Um, I, I just, have, as far as expected points go, Jalen Waddle had, uh, nine expected points. Uh, mm-hmm. Tyreek Hill had 19. I know mm-hmm. Waddle ended up with a much bit better day, but it was a you know a little bit on the fluky side. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that that was tough. Uh, let's so let's let's bring this home here. Uh, you know, in week one, you know, obviously we don't want to jump to conclusions, but you know, let's talk about some things that we thought over the summer. Was there anyone in week one that really kind of you had to step back and say like, ooh? Like, yeah, I'm going to have to, like, turn on this player hurry. I'm going to change my mind on this guy in a hurry. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess you mentioned him earlier, Kadarius Tony. Like, um, you know, I the the team seems intent on not playing him. Yeah, you, you mentioned Richie James. Richie James led the Giants <laughs> in air yards with 67, 67 air yards that led the team. Uh so they, I, I don't know what Tony's gonna have to do to get on the field. Clearly the team hates him. Uh, and, and that, that's, that's, uh, that's an issue for fantasy. Like you can't start a guy who, even though he's clearly their best receiver, you can't start a guy who's going to see 10 snaps a game or whatever. So, um, you're going to have to see it. I'm going to have to see it before I can, before I can play him again. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a guy I I was, I was kind of shocked about in week one. Would would you outright drop a Kadarius Tony right now? Or do you want to see more runway? No, I don't want to drop him. Uh, ten teamer, sure, whatever. But twelve, a twelve team league, I think that you should be able to find room on your bench for him. Yeah, yeah. My guy for me, and I, I fought against you know his ADP the entire summer, and I think uh, I'm going to be wrong on it. And it's uh, Pat Fryer move. Uh, yes. You know. It, it, you know, uh, Pat, and, and it's kind of like, you know, one of these things that, that even as a blind spot of fan, fantasy analyst, you have these, I kind of just didn't really want any piece of the Pittsburgh offense really uh, was a thing. But, you know, you look at Farmworth, he was a really good prospect coming out. He was a productive rookie, you know, uh, and then, you know, you look in, in the preseason, he has a clear rapport with Mitchell Trubisky and he comes out in week one and gets 10 targets. Mm. Uh, you know, he leads all tight ends in week one target share and share of teams receiving yards. Is he going to be that guy the rest of the season? Probably not. But when you look at where he was being drafted, I mean, I would pretty easily rather have Pat Fryer with right now than TJ Hawkinson, uh, Dawson Knox, yes. uh, guys that were being drafted ahead of him. Uh, and yeah, I think he's the the one guy. I mean, Deontay's fine. Uh, I'm, I'm completely fine with having Deontay Taylor's here. But Pat Fryermuth is a guy that I think I'm ready to already like reshift and say like, yeah, I was wrong on this guy over the summer. I, I was wrong as well. I you know the reason I was wrong is because I can't spell his last name. So <laughs> the that, E is a the E comes in a weird spot. Uh, yeah, the first E, uh, not yeah. like you would think. So how I could never find him in the draft room because I could never <laughs> I could never spell his name. So I said, okay, whatever. I'll take Irv Smith and. I know how to smell, spell Irv Smith. So this is, you know, this is the analytics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Irv Smith, a uh, real tough run out for week one when Kevin O'Connell comes out and say like, no, it was by design. Like he really wasn't part of the game plan. Yeah. Uh, you can drop him. You can drop him. Yep. It's amazing. Yep, yep, yep. Real, real tough scene. How about the inverse of that? Was there yeah. anyone that came out in week one and, that delivered the level, good or bad, that was just what you thought over the summer and confirmed your priors? Confirm my priors. Uh, I think I think Trey Lance's performance kind of confirmed what I was thinking, which is that the team, uh, first of all, they they were dead last in pass rate over expected, and yet I know the monsoon, I know the rain, everything. But I don't think that suddenly they're going to be middle of the league in pass rate over expected in good weather this week. Okay, like I think it's still going to be in the bottom three or so mm-hmm. thereabouts. Um, I'm not saying Trey Lance can't get there on, on on rushing, but I'm just talking about the Niners' offense in general. I'm talking about Brandon Ayuk. I'm talking about George Kittle. Um, not so much Debo because they just jam him the ball no matter what, and he gets high, a lot of high value touches in the green zone. But uh, uh, yeah, that I was thinking that even though Ayuk's good, even though Kittle's good, where's the volume going to come from? And that kind of confirmed my priors. Yeah, yeah, there was a couple guys. I think the way Najee Harris, you know, got the touchdown, the way it, everything that I thought was bad about his situation was like true in week one. Like the offense is going to be bad. The offensive line is still bad. And the Steelers targeted their running backs a league low 8, 8.1% of the time. He got over so much last year getting those free dump offs. I brought up the stat on this podcast a few times where he had, he had 60 targets last year. Uh, behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, those are just not going to exist this year. And now he picks up the injury, and we're going to have to deal with that. Michael Pittman also. I think everyone gets a victory lap at least for a week, one week on Michael Pittman yeah. uh, because he was one of those guys that were like – he got steamed by so many people and was up there and was like, all right, this is like – are we all just lemmings here? Like, are we going along with this? Like, if, if the, like, are we all just sheep, you know? And, you know, obviously everything plays out to a T. It's, it's nice to see that he kind of hit in week one. Obviously, the game script kind of, like, helped force the issue a little bit. But the rest of those Colts wide receivers did absolutely nothing in that game, and that was part of, uh, you know, the thesis of the play like a little bit. Ash, Ashton Doolin, you're, you're, you're forgetting about Ashton Doolin here. Look, uh, <laughs> Alec, Alec Pierce has a concussion. 
may, you know, maybe questionable for this week coming up. Uh, Ashton Doolin was targeted on six of his 14 routes, Rich. We, it's Ashton Doolin season. Come on. <laughs> that is right. Uh, uh, where, where did Ashton Doolin go to school? He went, he went to some uh, s- s- small school. I have no idea. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I wish I, I, that one's blowing. I'm blowing that one, man. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, listen, that that's good. A nice little walkthrough through week one. Uh, you know, is there anything else like that just off the top of your mind that you just want to get off your chest that, that pertain <laughs> to week one? I was really happy with Christian Kirk. Like, like mm-hmm. I, I got him in a lot of spots, a lot of best ball. And, uh, man, he he really does look like a target hog. Now, Zay Jones also weirdly looks like maybe like the 1B in that offense. He probably should have had a really big game if Trevor Lawrence mm-hmm. wasn't so awful against Washington. <laughs> um, and um, so, yeah, I but but, but Kirk, Kirk's usage uh, and, you know, it's not like he got it, it, there was nothing lucky there was nothing lucky about his week one performance and he scored 20 ppr points so i i really really like that yeah if anything there was probably a little more meat left on the bone for him to do better probably tied into you know the way trevor lawrence played yeah. in that game uh but yeah you got to feel good about that so that'll put a bow on this one wrap up with denny carter denny let everyone know where to find you what is going on at nbc powered by Roto World. Yeah, that's right. There you go. Uh, yes. Uh, so uh, you can find me on Twitter at cdcarter13. Uh, I write the waiver wire column on Tuesdays. It'll be up Tuesday morning, and then I do the the stream on the NFL on NBC YouTube page one o'clock Eastern time uh, on on Tuesday afternoons. I also do the Roto World Football Show with Pat Doherty on Tuesdays, and I do the preview show where we run down each game on Thursdays. Beautiful. You love to see it. Denny, always one of my favorite people in the industry, always in debt to him forever throughout the course of my career. Uh, He says, don't worry about it as he cashes the royalty checks. Good luck to everyone in week two. If you start off on one, I hope you get back on, get back on the winning track. And hopefully everyone is really going for two and oh, we'll see you all next week in week three. Good luck, everybody.